So Matthew chapter 6, going to begin reading in verse 19. Um, just want to remind us before we begin about last week. <clears throat> so the last couple of weeks have just been going through um, one, once again, just step after step, just kind of adding a new layer, adding a new layer, adding a new layer. Uh, if you wasn't here last week, it's okay. Um, you can go back and listen to it. We offered it for you. Um, you can find it um, and listen to it. Um, the thing is, is the Word was made flesh, right? We just come out of Christmas season where you understand Word became flesh. So when Word becomes into the atmosphere, and that's one of the things we looked at last week, that His Word is spirit, His Word is true, but it's also His Word is becoming flesh. Mary received the seed of God, the sperma of God, the Word of God, right? That word there in that passage in Luke 2 is sperma used throughout the whole New Testament. That word is seed, right? A couple of weeks before that, we looked at Mark chapter 4. Jesus says, if you can't get this parable, you're going to miss them all, right? And in Mark chapter 4, he talked about that your heart is the ground, it's the soil, the seed is the word, and the word is implanted, and the word comes to you as implanted. You have the choice to receive that word or not. And it's not that we go out every week and dig it up and say, is it working? Nope. All right, put it back in. Dig it back up the next day. Is it working? Nope. Put it back in. Right? The farmer, it says, trust that it's working. Right? Because if I do that, what am I doing to the seed if I go out there and do that every day? Killing it. Killing it. Right? It's got to hibernate in that place until it grows, germinates, and begins to sprout. Get root and then come above. Right? So Mary, we looked at, and she received that word. She hasn't had a baby the next day. Nine months later, right? And so she ushers in a new realm, is what we said, because Eve rejected the word. Eve rejected the word and said, okay, that looks good to me. I will partake of this, right? And instead of trusting what the word says, she trusted what the enemy said. And in doing that, she ushered in a new realm, a new kingdom realm, right? Mary all of a sudden changes that atmosphere. Something that we said before is not just difficult, but she received a word that was impossible, right? And we looked at that last week, what that word means, nothing, no rhema word, right? The nothing is impossible with God. The no rhema word is what that means. The rhema word is the fresh word that you get from God, right? So it's more than just the written word, the written scrolls of God. It is the fresh word that he gives to you and implants to you, all right? And it says it does not come without every ability to perform what it's going to do, okay? So that seed, which is who? The word became flesh and dwelt here among us, right? And he is that seed. So if he comes and implants himself into you, that's why it's got everything it needs, right? We looked at last week, the life is not in the soil. The life is in the what? The seed. Because who's in the seed? It is Jesus. He is the word, right? And spiritually, by his spirit, when it's spoken by spirit, it is implanted to you, and it is life into you. And if you allow it to grow, inhabit that place, that's why we're to meditate and, and dwell on those things, because we looked at the opposite realm is the devil's realm, right? The, the, the non-kingdom realm. And he tries to do everything he can to just replicate whatever this realm is, because he can't create he has no ability to create. He can only replicate. So in that replication, what does he do? Gets you to doubt. Seeds of doubt. And if you begin to dwell on that doubt, you begin to dwell on those issues, guess what begins to happen? Mark chapter 4 says, the cares and the worries of this world begin to choke out the seed. So the authority that you've been given to release with your mouth and the authority you've been given to inhabit that word by your own authority, you can choke out the word of God, the life of God. Okay? And so what we ended with last week was because of the word, persecution had come. And what we looked at is said, every time the word is given, there's going to attract opposition. Okay? 
When the word is given, opposition is attracted. Okay? So give me give you an example. I ended with my buddy um, when he had COVID and how he said it messed with his mind more than it did his health. Okay? And I gave you that example, right? And I said, that's how that thing can get in there and you just begin to think about it and do that kind of thing, right? Well, I talked to him that night before, last Sunday night, and I've uh, been around him and was talking about all that. Well, I started feeling like a cold coming on, right? My ear was stopped up. I'd already taken um, a Z-Pack for an ear infection. And so it didn't seem like it done cleared up. And so I'm coughing a little bit. No fever, nothing. And uh, by Tuesday night, um, I woke up in the middle of the night, about 12.30 at night. And I told Brent, I said, I woke up and I heard these voices say, we're going to kill you. And, um, and I saw the word COVID. And I was like, well, that's weird. <laughs> so I go to get up and I almost passed out because when I got up, I realized sweat was pouring off of me. And so I thought I was about to throw up. I was going to pass out. Um, get up. I start declaring things, speaking um, out, you know, the will of God, the word of God. Started doing that. I lay back down finally. I have to get settled down. And once I get settled down, I begin to think about this word that I give you guys Sunday. That that word will be challenged. That word will be challenged. That word will be challenged. That's all I just kept hearing over and over. That word will be challenged. But the only word I could hear was the other word. The one that wanted to scare you, right? And so I get up early that morning and I'm reading my Bible. And I'm like, I just got to put one foot for the other. I just got to go, right? Just, just going to go on to work. And Julie's like, you got like every symptom on the list. You can't just go to school and get everybody sick. I was like, I'm fine. I don't have fever. And um, she's like, no, you're going to get tested. And I was like, no, I'm not. <laughs> and uh, she said, you take Sandy then and tell her what happened. And then you tell, tell her that you're not going to go get tested. She said, you can't come back to work till you go get tested. I was like, so. so I go. And, uh, and so, so I text, I text Brett and say, you got to start praying. And I uh, told him what was going on, my symptoms and stuff. He said, okay. Well, he didn't, you know, just let that be a text. He called me. He said, let me pray over you. And the last thing he got, when he got through praying, he declared, he said, by the end of the day, I declare you'll feel better. You know, by that time, I was already, I'd been nauseated, da, 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 but we had already had, like, for two days, the first two days, back to school, we had eight kids in our office throwing up, and some was all over their clothes, and y'all just know if I'm around throw up, I'm going the opposite direction. Even if my kids throw up, I'm jumping up out the bed, gone. Julie's like, where'd he go? There wasn't a door back there. I said it is now because I just made one. <laughs> yeah, I'm gone. So anyway, that probably already had my stomach squeamish. But anyway, so I just, I don't feel good, you know. And so I'm at the doctor's office and they make you wait in the car. And um, so I'm sitting in the car. He's praying over me. He did that. And um, they test me, rapid test like negative, and they like, man, your ears are extremely bad, like still, like it looks rough. Um, they said, we need to give you a steroid shot for your ear. And, um, but, you know, you don't have a COVID or anything, you're fine with that. You can go back to work if you feel like it, you know, tomorrow. I was like, cool. Um, and so I just still, even after a steroid shot, usually feel better, right? But I just still just felt like crap the whole rest of the day. And so, um, sometime that afternoon, sometime after lunch, Nicole texted me. She said, hey, um, she checked on me, and then she said, hey, don't forget, uh, you need to take communion. I was like, oh, I ain't thought about that. I've been in there praying. I never cut the TV on all day. I just kept declaring, just kept trying to get in that third realm, just that, that heavenly realm, just trying to be in that presence um, and uh, just concentrate on the word. But... Um, I didn't think about that, you know, and um, so when she texted me, that, I was like, oh, thanks, I didn't think about it. I still kept laying there, kept declaring, kept just not feeling good. And, uh, it was bad, like, it was <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, 
Anyway, um, so I was sitting there in my man coal. And, and so you just feel like, like that test must have been wrong because I feel terrible, right? That test must have been wrong. I feel terrible. And so I said, God, I need her. I said, I go back to that term. I said, I need that rainbow word. I need that, that rainbow word. I need that right now word. I was like, God, I've been reading all up in the Bible, and, and that's good, and I've just been taking and consuming that and things like that. I said, I need that rainbow word. I need a fresh word so I could just take that word in, right? He said, you've already got two today. How many more do you need? And I said, two. And then I remember Brent said, by the end of the day, you'll feel better. Then I had Nicole give me the word about the communion. So I jumped up. I ran in there, got my juice and my crackers out. I just started declaring, receiving from him. And I'm telling you guys, it was the sun was going down at that time, whenever I finally took it. Within five minutes, both of those words came to pass, like I immediately... It was like I had a fresh boost of energy. Um, and just just to say this, one, get in that quiet place here so you can hear because you got a lot of other things that's trying to choke that out. The other thing was, I did have the rainbow word. Um, that's the beauty of community, right? Because my head was in a fog, I couldn't even think about the communion part. All I could think about, I got to keep declaring, keep declaring. But the two words that was given to me within community of believers help germinate life in me. Does that make sense? So it was just a beautiful thing um, this week of just how that was true within just a couple of days of me telling you this is what the Word says. This is how we operate in the Word. And then it was challenged. Remember, there's always two trees in the garden, the tree of life or the tree of knowledge and good and evil. And so which one are you going to eat from? And so that's where we're at today. And we're just going to continue in that mode. Okay, so Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Matthew 6, verse 19. says, Don't keep hoarding for yourself earthly treasures that can be stolen by thieves. Material wealth eventually rusts, decays, and loses its value. Instead, stockpile heavenly treasures for yourselves that cannot be stolen, and will never rust, decay, or lose their value. For your heart will always be pure. What you value as your treasure. The eyes of your spirit allow revelation light to enter into your being. If your heart is unclouded, the light floods in. But if your eyes are focused on money, the light cannot penetrate and darkness takes its place. How profound will the darkness within you if the light of truth cannot enter? How could you worship two gods at the same time? You will have to hate one and love the other, or to be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't worship the true God while enslaved to the God of money. So what does this passage say about God? Awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome. So the reason why I picked this passage is, one, it's because the verse um, that's talking about your eye. Um, some of your versions may say if your eye is single, okay? Um, if your eye is good, some versions say. Um, but the whole context of this passage in 19 through 24, if you're just looking at that paragraph, you think, well, all he's talking about is money here, right? And he is using the context of money here, but he is driving a principle of kingdom home, okay? Because if you look at the whole thing of what he's talking about here, he's been preaching since Matthew chapter 5. He's on the, what we call the Sermon on the Mount. He's giving out all these things, right? And so he continues to preach. And so he is centering around this before this part. We have what people call the Lord's Prayer or the Model Prayer or whatever you want to call it. And before he gets to this is how you should pray, he tells them this is how you shouldn't pray, right? He tells them right before Matthew 6 in that part when it says our Father who art in heaven, that part. So if you're backing up in your Bible and you're looking at that part at the beginning of chapter 6, he tells them, don't be like the hypocrites. Okay? He says, don't be like those guys. And the word that, um, that is used for those hypocrite, hypocrite, hypocrites, <laughs> hypocrites, I'm trying to read this Greek word. It's hypocrites. 
trying to know if I can pronounce that right. So I was looking at that while I'm trying to say it the real way. Um, but it says it's not used for people with double standards. It actually means for people who are overcritical, for people who are nitpicking, and for people who are splitting hairs over religious issues. So this is in the context, this whole story, okay? And so he gives this little portion about money because people can understand money. You start messing with people money, you got their attention, okay? But he's giving you a whole kingdom principle here so you pay attention to the whole thing and how does this apply to me in kingdom living, okay? Um, and so the eye, the, if the eye is single in verse 21, if the eye is single, the eye that he's talking about there is your spiritual perception. The lens, what you're looking through, right? Do you look at the scripture through the eyes of what Jesus portrayed as the Father? Or as your own personal background and what religion taught you that God is like? What is the spiritual perception? I'm on it. Me too. I'm trying to do. <laughs> <laughs> so you're <laughs> so it's that spiritual perception. That's the eye. It's the eye is single, right? If I'm looking here at Alex and then both of my eyes are looking at him, I have both eyes looking at Alex, but my eye is single because I'm really not paying attention to my peripheral. I'm focused in on Alex, okay? However, if I do like Lydia and play around like she likes to do and cross my eyes and look at him, there's one of him over there and there's one of him over there. My eye is not single. I have double vision and I'm not getting the clear picture. You see what I'm saying? And now I see him. I think that's true too for like, you can look at Alex and see him physically, but I believe God has our eyes to look at Alex and see his spiritual too. And to see his, like, what does God want me to do for Alex? That's right. Spiritually or physically or whatever. And I think our eyes are clouded like that almost 100% of the time. That's good. That's a good word. So this in verse 21, if your eye is single, the body here is talking about the spirit man, okay? And so the eye is your spiritual perception. The eye being single, the word actually doesn't mean good because some translations of your Bible, New Living, I think has it, means good. The actual translation of the word means alpha and journey. Now, Alpha being the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, right? So, Alpha being the beginning. Your perception should be the beginning place of how it's coming into and how you're consuming that passage. How you're consuming what the Word is trying to give you. How you're trying to, the how you're perceiving it, right? He's talking to a group of people. He just, he just tells them, beware of these hypocrites who were splitting hairs, these religious gurus who are, they got to get everything just right, right? Trying to be theological correct. Now, there's nothing wrong with good theology. But whenever theology passes up the personhood of Jesus, then we got a problem. And that's what they had done. They could not get Jesus to fit inside their bubble of their perception. And he's trying to get them to see that, right? This is how you need to look at it. All right? And so... Before that, before he tells them the model prayer and after he tells them the model prayer, he warns them both times, don't be like those guys. And then when he gets to this part about the light and the eye being single, this is what he says about it. He says, because if, if, if that light that is coming through is dark, how dark is that darkness, he says. How dark is that? What had he been comparing the darkness to this whole time? If he's telling them how to pray, how to kingdom live, the only warnings he's giving them is about what? These religious, nitpicking things. And if your eye, your perception is dark, he didn't say your eye dark like the world. He's saying, you think you got a version of me. You understand what he's saying there now? He's saying, you think you got a version of me that you think it has to be just like so and inside this box and yet you've missed it all. 
In fact, you miss me completely. He goes on to tell them, you read scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture, and yet you do not find me. Their perception, their eye okay. is not seen. Let me teach y'all this. So, this is really cool because in my science class, my kids are learning about your eyes and light right now. So, this is really cool because I think, you I mean, God created your eyes and all that kind of stuff. So, just thinking about your eye physically, anyway, the only way you can see is the you have light. Hmm. And the light, you can't just have light in the room. The light has to go into your eye through your people. And so, just thinking about that too, you know, like we can see around the world, mm-hmm. whatever. But I can't see spiritually unless the, the light comes in. That's right. And the light is Jesus. That's right. Of the time. And so, just thinking about those connections, you know, like right. to science itself, and God is trying, I think He just tries to teach us stuff through everything. That's right. That's right. Just like He was showing you that this week, He was showing Bill something this week, That's and He's right. just making connecting dots. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going to pass out a couple of passages. We're going to connect some of these dots. Um, but uh, John 15, 4 through 9. Thank you. All right. Psalm 27, 4. Matthew 6, 33. Romans 14, 17. Um, this is a little bit bigger passage. Uh, Luke 2, 25 through 38. Um, First Kings eighteen, forty-one through forty-five. Nobody wants that Old Testament, huh? All right, First Kings eighteen, forty-one through forty-five. Um, there was one more. I think I want to do. Yeah, Matthew six nine. All right, so Matthew six nine. Go ahead and read that one for us. Um, now there's two times we're going to look back in Matthew chapter six. Remember, Matthew chapter six is what we're already in. This is that context of this kingdom living and how that operates, okay? So Matthew 6, 9, go ahead and read that one. Pray like this. Our Father dwelling in the heavenly realm, may the glory of your name be the center on which our lives return. All right. Um, so here he's saying, um, which one do you read, Justin? Okay, he was talking to me at the same time. We'll make sure we was... Uh, we was on the same page. All right. So the, the Aramaic word, I'm going to read Dr. Simmons' footnotes for this verse, is uh, Shema, which is the Hebrew, Hebrew word Shem, a word with multiple meanings. It can be translated light. It can be translated sound. It can be even translated atmosphere. So placing a light like a lantern in an enclosed space magnifies that light. This is the meaning here of God's name being made sacred and magnified as we focus our lives on Him and the Greek word there is, is you treat it as holy. Um, so you can see where he's content. In this whole chapter, he is just centering around light. And we don't get that in our English version, okay? That's why I want you to understand he is really trying to drive this point home with the light, okay? And when you get to John, John really puts it out there about light. Okay, and we got a pretty decent translation in our English terms. But in these original contexts here, he is talking about light, that it is it's in you light, light. It brings light into your being, and then therefore it should also be light coming out of you. But it's all focused on him. It's all focused on him. It's all centered around him. Like you're orbiting around him, like your whole universe orbits around him. Therefore, the light is reflecting off of you, kind of like what we looked at with Paul talking about before. Okay? So, John 15, 4 through 9, and I want us to think about when we go through these next few passages, your light, your eye being single. What does it mean to live this life, because we're all going different places when we leave here today, tomorrow when we go into work, we're going different places, we're around different people. In my life, how does this look for my eye to be single? Okay? If this is very important to Jesus, it should be very important to me. Okay? So, John 15, 4 through 9. So, you must remain in life union with me, for I remain in life union with you. For as a branch severed from the vine will not bear fruit, so your life will be fruitless, unless you live your life intimately joined to mine. 
I am the sprouting vine, and you're my branches. As you live in union with me as your source, fruitfulness will stream from within you. But when you live separated from me, you, will, you are powerless. If a person is separated from me, he is discarded. Such branches are gathered up and thrown into the fire to be burned. But if you live in life union with me, and if my words live powerfully within you, then you can ask whatever you desire, and it will be done. When your lives bear abundant fruit, you demonstrate that you are my mature disciples who glorify my Father. I love each of you with the same love that the Father loves me. You must continually let my love nourish your hearts. All right. Thinking about I single. According to this passage, if I want to produce good fruit, because that's what we talk about a lot of times in church, right? You got to be good, boy. Got to be a good girl. Got to produce good stuff now. And I start getting you to focus on what you're producing. Right? Now, my eye can be single that way. Now, I'm all of a sudden, I'm focusing on how I'm producing. But guess what happens if that's my eye and, my, and that's my perception? What happens when I mess up? I start doing what? Condemning who? Myself. Is there self-condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? No. So all of a sudden, according to this passage, how should light be single in this passage? Who is my focus on? According to his passage, if I produce fruit, it's only because of what? Connected to the vine. Right? So how should I be single according to that passage? I'm always connected to him. I'm not really worried about what I'm producing because he promised me in this passage, if I'm connected to him, the producing will automatically happen. I won't even have to try. It'll just happen. Okay? See what I'm saying? All right, let's keep going. Psalm 27, 4. What's the one thing the psalmist wants? Presence. The one thing, he said. The one thing is to constantly live in the presence of him. In his presence. The constant. The one thing. If my eye is, what? Single. Because if my eye is single and that is my one thing, how bright will that light be? Now, go back to the passage in, in Matthew chapter 6. If he's warning us, don't be like these hypocrites who are nitpicking every little thing, right? What is their eye single to? Getting it right or wrong. What is the tree they're eating from? Life or knowledge of good and evil? Mmm. Mmm. Which tree are you going to eat from in the garden? You see what I'm saying? So let's go a little deeper. Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of rules about food and drink, but is in the realm of the Holy Spirit filled with righteousness, peace, and joy. Okay. This is the evidence of kingdom living, right? This is your evidence. What is the evidence? Joy. Okay. Those are the things... If you want to know if that's what your light is producing, if the eye is single, what should be producing out of you? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, right? Now, Matthew 6.33, back to our chapter. What does Matthew 6.33 say about it? So, above all, constantly seek God's kingdom and His righteousness, then all these less important things will be given to you abundantly. Constantly seek his kingdom and his what? Right, right. It's not yours. It's his. But he gave it to you. So now it's yours. Alright? And so in Romans he's saying, This is what you're getting. 
You're not focused. Your light is not focused on how bad and what you're not getting and what you're not producing. Your light is focused on who he is, what he is, what he's declared about you already and established about you already is what your light is focused on, what your eye is focused on. That is the eye being single and that light will illuminate inside you which will then cause the illumination to come out of you. Okay? So... He says here, um, well, let's go on down. Um, you know, I want to say this too. Going back to that verse about nitpicking, and if that's where our focus is, is because a lot of people feel like that's religion. Yeah. It's to look into the Bible and find out who's right or wrong, or if I'm right or wrong. And so, like, hindsight is 2020. I, I can relate to that a lot in my life. You know, right. and in those times, I don't feel like there was much peace or joy or righteousness being produced. Mm-hmm. You know, it was striving and it was um, disagreement, you know, like an unsettled spirit instead of the other things. Yeah. You know, I have to prove that you're right. You're right. not right. Jesus is right. You right. know, or, or any other thing for right. that matter. You know, you think about, too, this verse um, that Eli read at the beginning part of um, the Lord's Prayer. In the Passion Version, it says, Our Father, dwelling in heavenly realms, may the glory of your name be the center on which our lives turn. The glory. What is the glory? Christ in you is the hope of glory. So he's already the glory he has in John 17. He is given to you. That is the hope of glory. So my my hope and my present and my presence in Him, the face-to-face communion, helps me to see the glory that's already bestowed on me, the transfiguration that should be taking place in me on the Mount of Transfiguration, should be coming out into everybody else. Coming out of me. Okay? So I want to give you a couple examples because you need to apply this to your life. Okay? One we've already looked at before, but I want to revisit Luke 2, 25 through 38. As they came to the temple to fulfill this requirement, an elderly man was there waiting, a resident of Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. He was a very good man, a lover of God, who kept himself pure, and the spirit of holiness rested upon him. Simeon believed in the imminent appearing of the one called the refreshing of Israel. For the Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he would not see death before he saw the Messiah, the anointed one of God. Keeping his promise, the Holy Spirit led Simeon to be in the temple court at the very moment Jesus' parents entered to fulfill the requirement of the sacrifice. Simeon cradled the baby in his arms and praised God and prophesied, Lord and Master, I am your loving servant, and now I can die content, for you have fulfilled your promise to me. With my own eyes I have seen your word, the Savior you sent into the world. He will be glory for your people Israel, and the revelation light for all people everywhere. Mary and Joseph stood there, all struck over what was being said about their baby. Simeon then blessed them and prophesied over Mary, saying, A painful sword will one day pierce your inner being, for your child will be rejected by many in Israel. And the destiny of your child is this. He will be laid down as a miracle sign for the downfall and resurrection of many in Israel. Many will oppose this sign, but it will expose to all the innermost thoughts of their hearts before God. A prophetess named Anna was also in the temple court that day. She was from the tribe of Asher and the daughter of Phanuel. Anna was an aged widow who had been married only seven years before her husband passed away. After he died, she chose to worship God in the temple continually. For the past 84 years, she had been serving God with night and day prayer and fasting. While Simeon was prophesying over Mary and Joseph and the baby, Anna walked up to them and burst forth with a great chorus of praises to God for the child. From that day forward, she told everyone in Jerusalem who was waiting for their redemption that the anticipated Messiah had come. Okay. Christmas story. Okay. Me and Brent were talking about this this week. I said, think about those two guys, that guy and that girl. You think about it. Get yourself in your in their position and think about what they were experiencing. These were old, an old man and an old woman, right? Both of them, if your eyes single, think about that. Keep that in the back of your mind. If your eyes single, 
they never wavered in what they believed. You understand what I'm saying? They prophesied. Simeon believed that God told him that he would see the Messiah before he died. All right? Now think about the time they're living in. What do we call that time? The 400 years of what? Silence. Why do they call it that? Is it because God didn't speak to people? They call it that because we don't have no records of any prophets. Okay? And he was evidently speaking to who? Simeon. He was speaking to those who would listen. Simeon's in a quiet place and he hears him say, I'm going to let you see the Messiah. Year after year after year after year. We're not talking about days. We're not talking about months. We're talking about years. He's an old man. He has no prophet coming to tell him, tomorrow's the day. Today's the day. He has none of that. Now put yourself in Anna, the prophetess. A man, a woman. (laughs) Put yourself in her shoes. says for 84 years she has done nothing but dedicate herself to worshiping and staying in the temple. 84 years. She's a widow. She has dedicated her whole entire being. She's old. 84 years. So a lot of people believe that it was 84 years after she widowed, so which would put her over 100 years old. She's old. Again, guys, put yourself in their shoes. Mary and Joseph are walking in with the baby. They're not walking in with fanfare and saying, here's the Messiah. Here's the Messiah. Their eye has been so single over all these years that when the baby walks in, they know who he is. You see what I'm saying? There he is. And they immediately begin to declare out who he is and what he's about to do for the rest of his life. In a time when they said God didn't speak. Because they chose to keep their eyes single based off of what they heard God tell them. That rhema word. Okay? Now, next example, Dustin, 1 Kings 18, 41 through 45. Very familiar one to us as well. I being single, think about it. Elijah said they have go up, eat, and drink, for there is a sound rushing of rain. <laughs> so Ahab went to eat and to drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Palma, and he bowed himself down on the earth, and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, Go up now, look towards the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And he said, Go again seven times. And the seventh time he said, Behold, a little cloud, like a man's hand, is rising from the sea. And he said, Go and say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. And in a little while the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. In verse 46 says, And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. All right. So in that last passage with Simeon and Anna, I want you to recognize. The point that if your eyes single, nothing's going to get you off course. Okay? Nothing. Right? Don't matter how many years. Okay? This one here, here's Elijah. It hasn't rained. He's praying for rain. Before he even prayed for rain, he says, I did what? I hear the sound of rumbling and rain. Who heard that? Ain't nobody else heard it. And what do you think they thought when he said that? You nuts. Bro, it ain't rained here. Years. What are you talking about? You hear it. There's no cloud in the sky. Goes, puts his head between his knees, begins to pray. Sends a servant out. Go look. What do you see? He comes back. I see what? Nothing. Sends him out seven more times. What do you see? Nothing. Did Elijah focus 
on what the boy did not see. Let me show you how much he didn't focus on what he didn't see. Elijah didn't go out and look for himself. Elijah was not going to waste his time focusing on the things that are not. But he was going to focus on the things that be as though they were. He knew it was coming. And he did not waste his time on the evidence of what he did not see. He put his investment in his eye being single into what he knew God was going to do. And whenever they saw the cloud the size of a hand, the servant says, I see a cloud the size of a man's fist. That's this big. I don't know how big that's got to be. Whenever you look at it, the thing, that's got to be a speck, right? It's nothing. Everywhere in that one little thing. And when your eye is single, you don't say, there's no way that can happen. When your eye is single, you say, there it is, boys, get it ready, let's go. Because it's coming. He told them to hurry up because they were about to get rained out. That's right. <laughs> now, how much is the eye single if that is the case for you to re respond in that way? That's the eye single, guys. I'm going to give you one more because these are examples you've got to live by. These are examples for your eye to be single to live by situations in life. You don't get it the first time, you've got to keep believing. This one right here, eye single. You're not looking and paying attention to what's not happening. You're paying attention to what God's saying is going to happen. Okay? Now look at this right here. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 14, John the Baptist is killed. Okay? John the Baptist is killed. Jesus gets a word. Okay? I'm not even going to read it all. I'm just going to uh, hit a couple of highlights. Um, they tell Jesus... And his heart, you know, he's, he's got to be overwhelmed. That's John the Baptist, right? He's got to, it's got to, it's got to, you know, be very devastating, very sad. That's his first cousin. He'd already been baptized by him. It's very intimate, okay? This is an intimate relationship, right? This is not just some, oh, I heard about that on the news. No, this is very intimate, Okay? In Matthew chapter 14, it describes that Jesus went on to the side of the mountain to be by himself when that happened. Why do you think he did that when he hears the news? Sad. What else? Got to get with the Father. Because Jesus' eye, he keeps it single. Because how easy would it to be to get off track at this point? Fast forward, 2021. You don't get what you want in politics and how you going to respond. This is political move here. This was a political move. This was a political move by the king to make a statement. And Jesus could have gotten hurt and mad and went and thrown himself out in front of them and said, I tell you what, you ain't going to do that to my cousin. Boom! I zap you down right now. But he knew that wasn't his heart of his father and he knew that wasn't his mission. So what does he do? When he is moved, he goes to the side of the mountain, going back to John 15 and what Glenn read, and he's abiding in the Father. He's keeping his eyes single and not being moved by the situation around him. Right? You go back, go back a, a, a little, um, a little while before that, and when John's in jail, John does something very similar. He's like, "Bro, I'm in jail. Are you sure you the Messiah? You sure you the one gonna be the one to deliver us? Because I ain't delivered, hand." Right? And Jesus says, "You go back and tell them what you see." The blind see, the dead are raised. You go back and you tell it, right? Keep your eyes single. Just because the situation not like what you thought it should be or what it should be doing, keep your eyes single. Keep your eyes focused, okay? So the eye is focused in on presence and intimacy, okay? So I began to think about that this week with myself, the eye being single, Right? Because you can see all those other things wanting to tell you, oh no, this is going to be bad. Oh no, this is going to be bad, right? 
but let's put it on even so you can any of those situations you can use for personal but let's just think about this in in our situation today right the 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 nation's in an uproar right now you may not be because you settled in christ but the nation is. The nation's in an uproar. Everybody's like, what's going to happen? Don't know what's going to happen. Da, 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 da. What's, what are we going to do? Right? Now, just like we used the example earlier of your eye single, if abortion, like abortion's wrong, okay? We go against abortion, right? And that was one of the things that a lot of church people said that, you know, that's what we're running on for Trump is abortion, Right? However, if my eye is single only towards abortion, what's going to happen whenever people disagree with me about abortion? I'm going to get mad. I'm going to lose my cool. I'm going to chew them out. I'm going to get very bitter and do all that. What if I'm on the other side of the fence, right? We say that the other side is doing more for social injustice. Right? That's what we say. What the media says. Alright? Well, let's just say that's your deal. Your eyes single and all you're focused on is social injustice. And when somebody disagrees with you about social injustice that, oh no, there ain't no social injustice going on, what do you do? You become bitter. You become mad. And you want to rage. But what would happen if both people's eyes were single towards presence? What if? What would happen? You see, the problem is we get a lot of times like in Matthew 6 where we're splitting hairs and how dark is that darkness? That makes sense to you? How dark is that darkness? Where we think we got a version of our own Jesus that's got to fit my agenda. Instead of getting in the presence of him and letting him shift the atmosphere around me. Does that make sense? And so your your eye being that place to where that light enters, him being that light, him being the presence, him being the one thing, right? The eye is the one thing, the one thing that I seek, the one thing that I desire, presence, intimacy. When I'm in presence and I'm in intimacy, I'm changed with changes of people and the shift around me. I am not moved by the world. And even when bad things happen, just like Jesus, you go into that intimate place on the side of that mountain to get that eye single again and keep pushing forward and keep moving kingdom. Okay? Let's pray. God, you're good. And I pray that uh, you help us, assist us so a lot of times I think we uh, as a matter of fact, just by me reading. People who are supposed to be religious leaders reading their tweets this week. Seems to me the body is so divided and the body is so unsure about what you're doing. And being caught up in more in issues than with presence. This is what we desire, Father. Our one thing we desire is to be in face-to-face communion, intimacy with you. And from that place, you change us, but you also shift the atmosphere around us. We declare and decree Your favor and your presence be known from the White House 
So Brent and Rachel's house. To all of our homes, our places of business, our schools, that we cannot get away from your presence. Not that your presence is not already there, but we are not aware. We pray for an awareness, an awakening to begin to shift. In Jesus' name. We want to take communion. Remember everything that he had for us, everything he's done for us, everything that he has provided for us, his broken body. I pointed out, I think in your reading this morning, if you're doing the daily Bible reading with us, that passage in there, it said that this was to fulfill what Isaiah said, by your stripes we are healed. And many people today will say, oh, that only means spiritual, it doesn't mean physical. And there is evidence in that passage this morning that says, no, it's talking about physical. Uh, it says that this is why it was prophesied, because he healed them. So, um it is real. And so we receive his broken body. We receive his blood. And Jesus, we thank you that you broke your body for us freely. That you met us where we were. We thank you, Father, that you were in Christ reconciling the world back to us. Back to yourself. Freeing us from us. That's the biggest freeing we could ever get is free us from ourselves. Replacing us in you. We thank you for your blood. It consumes us. It flows through us and over us. And we receive your life. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm glad y'all made it today. Stay in fellowship as long as you want. Enjoyed you. Good. Good to be here.